Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives Podcast. I am Steve McDonald, your host. And today we have on Phil Carpenter. Now, among many things, Phil, that you've accomplished, you know, Harvard grad, that's always like a great way to start, right? Harvard Business School grad, congratulations on that. Um, but you're, you're the CMO of a company called Alice Technologies. But one of the reasons why we're so excited to have you on here today is because you've spent much of your professional life, the last two startups, in what you call a content creation company, right? Where you were actually expanding or creating a content or a, a market for your product. And we even talked about the, the book, I don't know if everybody's read it or not, The Blue Ocean Strategy, where you get out of the red ocean, which is red from the, the battle of competition, right? And you define a new market space, a bluer ocean. And that's what you've been doing for the, the last, I don't know how long you could fill us in on that, but tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about the, the companies that you've created new markets for content creation or, you know, the, you know, the idea of establishing this new category. And the goal here is to apply your learnings to us as regular B2B marketers, right? That that's not necessarily creating a, a, you know, a category, but what can we learn? Sure. So I'm a, I'm a serial startup guy, Steve. Um, I love being involved in the early stages of a company because you get to have your fingers all over it, right? Like your fingerprints are there. You're defining, you know, who is our customer? What is the product? Um, you know, how do we articulate our message? What is our culture? You know, all of those things, right? And you know, you're doing that in, in all startup experiences when you're early enough, right? But what I like even more is the opportunity to define a new category, right? You're, you're carving out, as you say, a, a piece of blue water rather than red water, uh, and and defining what is this space all about why does it matter and why are customers going to be to be interested um and i have done a variety of different startups but i've been fortunate enough to do this category category creation work twice uh the first one uh was catch your mind back to the year 2000 uh, a company called sidestep which was the very first travel search engine there was no such thing until a couple of friends and I got together in, in one of our apartments and began working on this thing. The idea was like, well, what if there was something like Google, but for Trump, right? And that ultimately involved into an actually even larger idea, this idea of meta search. Again, there was no such concept or term then that you would be searching lots of different sources of information and aggregating that into uh, one, one place, you know, we, we were doing, uh, meta search for travel, but there are meta search sites for jobs and you know, lots of other places, uh, have emerged that have sort of followed that same model within different areas. So, um, I started doing this in, uh, travel. We built a very successful company. It was purchased by kayak, uh, which is probably a product that you, any listeners may know. So if you've searched for travel using kayak, you you used the technology that we invented. Uh, you know, they bought us for $200 million. Uh, 
Priceline turned around and bought them for $1.2 billion, right? So little fish get swallowed by the medium fish, gets swallowed by the big fish. Uh, but, you know, the reason that these companies were valuable was because this was new. And, you know, I feel really fortunate to have had that experience. And, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like lightning, you know, maybe, maybe it strikes once in the right place in a career uh, and it's probably not going to get strike twice. But I actually now feel in this next startup that I'm involved with now that I'm seeing it again. And this is category creation, however, this is happening in the B2B space, not in the B2C. And it's entirely different. This is construction technology, right? So we're, we're now digitizing a space that has long kind of cried for innovation. And not, not is it on tech, but it's even further. We're doing construction scheduling and what we call op, um, construction optioneering, which is enabling people to create lots of different possible schedules for the, the building that they are creating or the bridge they are building or whatever the structure has to be, and then optimizing those schedules to build it in the very best way possible. Again, this idea, construction optioneering, did not exist until we started to define what it is and how it works. So, you know, I feel very lucky as a marketer, I'm getting to do this twice. Well, you know, the immediate thing that comes to mind is, you know, uh, as marketers, especially in B2B marketing, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to educate our audience on not only what the problem is, the depth of the problem and the total impact that it has on their business to position our solutions, right? So there's a lot of education just in traditional B2B marketing. Now you're actually also having to educate on a new category. So at the beginning, it kind of feels like, wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, that's, there's a lot more of the job that needs to be done. But tell us a little bit about why you're passionate about it, why you're excited about it. And let's get into then through that, what we can learn as B2B marketers. Well, you may have read about or, or you know, remember the early days of Apple and in those days, they called this evangelism, right? And they even had that as a title. You know, people ran around with tech evangelists, you know, on their, on their business cards. And that is what is happening in the early days uh, of category creation. Um, you are, you're defining what that category is, what the products are, the benefits for, benefits for the customers, and you are out there telling the story. It's a bit like politics. You're doing the stump tour, right? You're saying the same thing over and over and over again from, you know, uh, California to Mississippi and every place in between. Um, and, and, and so there is a lot of that in the early days. It's market education. It's awareness building. It's getting people fired up for why does this matter in general and then helping them personalize it. Why does it matter to them? And I think that's the really important leap because there's, there's an intellectual understanding that people can develop, which is, for example, okay, yes, I would want to be able to option, you know, optioneer, uh, optimize my construction project. And then there's me like, Hey, I am building, uh, $500 million projects that 
have all sorts of opportunity to be built better. And if I do that, I can significantly increase my margins, which are traditionally thin in construction. How can I get some of that? Right. And, and that's what you want is for them to like get a taste of the magic and then want more. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about this is, as B2B marketers, we know we have to be positioned as trusted advisors. We have to have a brand that has a perspective on the industry that can help educate, help advise, right? Because sellers don't want to be sold to, they want to be advised, right? They want to be helped. And so positioning ourselves as somebody that is worthy of listening to because we have a perspective on the industry, what you're talking about is in educating them on this new category in the industry and why it's important to them automatically positions you as the expert, the thought leader in that space, right? And positions you as somebody that's worthy of being listened to. So I, I love that, right? Because it's a, it's a, it's a brand strategy. It's a thought leadership strategy. It's a sales strategy, but it does what we all know that we need to be doing kind of by design from the beginning. And, you know, if you are, um, if you're at the forefront of category, if you create it, you start with an advantage, right? You know, it's, it's like running a foot race and you've got, you know, you've got a 50 foot lead, right? Go, go, go. But you have to keep running really quickly because if you don't, others are going to catch up. They're going to redefine the market in their own terms and, and you lose. I mean, I remember right out of college, the very first startup that I ever worked for B2B client server tools company guy came out of Oracle, had a really interesting idea, went on to, to found, found this new company. And, you know, he always cautioned about the challenges of category creation. He's like, Phil, the pioneers were the guys that ended up with the arrows in their backs. <laughs> so, you know, if you slow down, you're in, you're in trouble. Um, but, you know, if you're part of an organization that, that, you know, behaves like a startup and, and hustles, like I'll get out, you know, you can, you can, um, initiate that lead. You can build that lead and it becomes hard to catch up. I mean, you, you know, you've got a competitive advantage in that. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the idea of category creation, um, early adopters, you know. How do you think about marketing on a category creation basis? So then we can also then think about how do we apply it to the B2B industry in total? I think there's a lot of thought leadership and storytelling that has to happen in the early days. You know, um, you have to get out there and um, spark interest in why this is important to build some um, build some drama behind it, perhaps a little romance, like get, get people intrigued. Um, and you know, if you do that, then you have your attention. For example, if I say, Steve, let me tell you a story. Immediately you're paying attention to me. Your ears perk up, you looking me in the eye. Like I've gotten your attention. Now it's my responsibility to hold it, right? Yeah. To expand upon it, but I really feel that you know that's what's happening in the early days. You are 
you're establishing your own credibility, your company's credibility to then explain an idea and, and why it matters. So to give you an example for, for Alice, right? Again, we're doing construction engineering. Our founder, Renee Morcos, came from a family in which his father was a civil engineer in the Middle East and told him, Renee, you can do anything you want in this world, but please just don't be a civil engineer, which caused him to go and pursue that in college and then ultimately to end up uh, at Stanford to do a PhD in construction engineering. And he was pursuing a PhD. He had this idea about kind of optimizing on a construction site and um, developed this concept for his thesis. And his thesis advisor was all fired up. He's like, Renee, I think you actually have a, not just a thesis, but a company here. And Renee then turned around and took that and, and wrote up uh, a business plan for a business plan competition at the Stanford Business School. He was an engineer in the engineering school. He marched it over to the business school, entered this business competition, won the whole thing, right? And then from there was able to secure funding and, you know, off the races we went. So he'll tell that story to get people intrigued. Like, wow, okay, there were, you know, somebody was clearly interested. You know, there's some smart people at this Stanford place. Like there must've been something, right? right? And then to go on to be able to explain, you know, the advantages to either an owner or a large general contractor about using artificial intelligence to schedule big projects in a new way and how you can reduce costs, how you can reduce risk, how you can increase margins, like all of these good things. So you're, you're, you're kind of fucking emotionally and then explaining rationally. Uh, and that gets people to that level of not just awareness, but, but intrigue and willingness to engage meeting and one thing leads to another. Well, so two things I took away from that were, A, that story gave me reasons to believe, like you said, that some really smart people, probably a lot smarter than me, really saw something in this. So validation. Secondly, it's something new. And we all know that there is constant evolution, constant change, constant ways that we need to keep up, right? So now... Renee's a thought leader, right? In this new space that, you know, Stanford and, you know, a number of different ways has kind of validated here. That is the power of storytelling. And I love that. And so the first takeaway that I have from what you're saying for all B2B marketers is how do we create a narrative, a story, right? That validates what we're saying, but cars out something unique. Like we all know we need to have unique brands. We can't be saying the same thing as everybody else. Ford talks about it in terms of it has to have a healthy dose of controversy around it. We have to be leaders. We have to be leading our buyers. So we have to be content create or category creators in a bit. We have to redefine the space that we're playing in in a way that's credible and validated, right? Behind our story. And you drew for me when we were preparing for this podcast a visual that I wanted to try to articulate and then have you talk off of. But if it was reality over here, brand new category, right? But too far out, it gets to be theoretical and too much of a stretch of leap of faith, right? So 
category creators are kind of right here. The B2B industry is kind of more right here based on where reality is. Yes. What does that mean if you could take that diagram and kind of like bring it to life, tell the story behind it? What is the meaning behind that? All right. So, so I've got an image and a story to share with you. So when I, uh, when I was an undergrad at Stanford, I was part of the marching band, right? Which didn't really march. It more scatters and does wild and zany things. But, but every once in a while, you had to march. And, and you know, you were, think of, think of this image. The marching band is walking down Main Street, lots of little streets, you know, off either side. And you've got the drum major. The drum major is out in front. He's leading the band and doing his thing and marching down the street. Now, if you get too far ahead of the band, when you turn left, they're not going to see you turn left. And then there's mass confusion and the pickles are running into the clarinets or getting pulled over by the trombones. And it's just like a big mess, right? You can't get far ahead of the band, right? You have to find a distance from which you can lead, right? Which is the category creation and leading, but from where you're not going to lose your audience. And it's been very interesting for us to work on that at Alice. But because, look, applying AI to the world of construction scheduling is a new thing. And this is an industry that hasn't seen much innovation, I kid you not, literally in decades, Steve, in construction scheduling. Yeah. Um, so we have had to work at presenting a really new and interesting idea, but not being too wild here, right? You don't want the construction people who are trying to solve practical, practical problems to say like, oh, these are a bunch of, you know, wacky academics and, you know, like I, I could never do that. That's not, you know, sensible for me. You have to be able to... um Show them that you're doing something actually that they can do uh, that will work in their organizations and then reinforce that, for example, with customer case studies. Show them, hey, these are what these guys are doing over here in rail. These are what these guys are doing over here in uh, freeway construction, right? You need concrete examples of that. And if you, if you can do that, you will find that comfortable distance where you can be out of hand but not so, not so far ahead that the tuba, the tubas move over the section. So that's the that's a fantastic. I love the, you know, the the leader of the band can't get too out, out far out in front. If you get too far out in front, you're just going to lose that audience. How much in your in your mind should B two B CMOS trying to be out in front? Right, you don't have to have a new category, but should they be out in front and constantly trying to, to push, you know, where they're leading or should they be more based in, in reality? I mean, like draw the line, connect the dots for us in terms of what we should be learning here. So I would argue that it would be, if it's healthier to be, to push, to be further out front. And if you need to walk it back every once in a while, you know, you can, depending on sort of where it feels for you. But if you're just with the pack, you're going to be boring. You know, uh, to use another musical instrument analogy, how many people do you know in your youth who played violin, right? right. A zillion. 
screechiest little instrument in the world, and yet everybody wants to play it. Or you could be the oboe player. There are not a lot of oboe players. If you're an, or the string bass guy, you're the string bass player, you're the coolest dude in town, right? There are not a lot of those people. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it is much more interesting to be different, uh, to push the boundaries and talk about why you're doing what you're doing. And, 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 and then the challenge is to keep, you know, pushing ahead because the minute you stop, you know, your compadres are sneaking up behind you. So it, this is an ongoing process, as I think you're hearing, you know, from, from me. And you're never going to be perfect at it. But if you have to, if you have to overcompensate one way or another, I'd say be ahead, right? Because that's what's going to get people interested in you. It's going to get your CEO talking in front of really interesting groups. It's going to get, you know, press potentially wildly excited about you. Um, and that's going to be what you need, especially when you're building a startup, Steve. I mean, when you're, when you're a young company, as you know, you don't have a lot of money. The venture capital that you have is, is hard won. You paid a lot for it in so many ways. So you need to make the most of it. Right. And, and, and being a leader, uh, this way, a thought leader, a category leader, um, gives you that natural lift that you can't buy, but that you can earn and that you can earn this way. Uh, and it's, it's frankly sort of the much more affordable way, you know, not, not only can, can you not buy it, but if you tried to buy, you spend a ton of money to, to try and fail. So let's talk about, you brought up the, the, the thought of the thought leadership, right? Yes. And, uh, hundred percent understand that. And, but on a practical level, that means you're in a lot of ways, you're creating the content that establishes you as that thought leader. Tell me, in your opinion, how important, if I could say content, thought leadership, right? How important is it to any B2B organization, inside or outside of category creation, in terms of, you know, the overall growth and success of the business, where one, it's not important. Ten, it's vital to the growth and success of the business. Where would you put content in that strategy? I, I tell you, Steve, I have always bet heavily on content because I believe that that is how you set yourself apart as a leader. And I think that, you know, it's interesting if you, if you look at today's media market, which is hyper-segmented and, and that has within all of these segments so many different kinds of content. Now, the, the content creators, journalists, podcasters, et cetera, you know, that are um, driving those, those media outlets really need good content, right? So it's a partnership between you as a, as a thoughtful person or a thoughtful company and, and media outlets that you're working with that really need you, right? But if you have something interesting for them, then all of a sudden you can be everywhere. And I'll, I'll tell you, Steve, you know, for, for Alice in particular, you know, 
poor Renee, I have him trotting all over the world doing interesting presentations, right? I mean, and you know, I appreciate very much his willingness to go to go do it, right? Uh, you know, he is out there on the forefront talking. Um, we do a ton of PR. We do a lot of bylined articles that we write for all sorts of different uh, publications that matter. We we are on podcasts regularly, you know, kind of telling the story of what this technology does, how it works. We're creating videos. Uh, we're creating written case studies. I mean, for us, it's all about content. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is really important for all of us because, you know, we do a series on why B2B CMOs fail so quickly. Unfortunate. Shortest yeah. tenure in the C-suite. Congratulations on being a B2B CMO. <laughs> but, you know, one of the, one of the, factors that keeps coming up if we talk to CMOs is the fact that their brand doesn't stand for more than the products and the features that they've created, right? It doesn't tell a greater story. And the company is therefore not recognized as that expert, as that thought leader. And plenty of studies have, have talked about that it's actually more important to be known as a thought leader than it is to be known for your products or your technology only because that's what gets you into those early conversations. That's what sparks the conversation, right? And so I love the fact that category creation as applied to B2B marketers just has us thinking about how do we push the boundary in our category a bit, right? How do we elaborate it a bit? How do we carve out a segment of the category that we can own, that we can be thought leaders on, that we can be perceived? We have a good story. We're good storytellers. In fact, I learned on, on this podcast that there's actually a scientific part of the, the storytelling that we remember stories 22 times more than we do just facts and figures, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a very rational component to the storytelling beyond just the interest, you know, and the intrigue behind it. So I, I just want to know, we've talked about a lot here. If there was one thing, Phil, that you wanted to have the audience take away from this conversation, what would that be? Even if you are not in that position to be creating a category you know, a new, right? And, and many, many marketers are, many companies are. I still think there are plenty of opportunities to push for novelty, to tell stories of innovation, uh, you, even in some areas that are more established, right? And I, and I do believe that companies get an awful lot of credit for that. Because as, as you were saying, Steve, like, being seen as the innovator, it opens the door, right? That, from that point, you can get, start to, you know, get involved in a conversation about product details and, you know, all the various and sundries, but you're never going to get that opportunity or you're going to fight a lot harder. You're going to pay a lot more to get that opportunity if you aren't seen as interesting. So get the heck out there and be interesting. And don't be afraid, right? Really don't be afraid. I think, I think too many, uh, too many companies run scared. I think too many B2B, you know, marketers 
uh, are too cautious. Like, take some risk, break some glass, do some things. Uh, and, you know, you won't be successful every time you try. Um, but if you, if you don't do that and you don't learn from it, you're just going to be boring. And life's way too short to be boring. Yeah, well, boring's not going to get you into a conversation with your buyers. <laughs> hey, Phil, thank you so much. Uh, I, uh, there's so much we could continue talking about, but if, if people had follow-up conversations, would it be appropriate to give them the link, put it up with the podcast, you know, to your LinkedIn profile? Absolutely. You know, if you'd like to talk more with anybody about the topic that we've covered today, uh, about other aspects of marketing, about what I'm doing now at Alice, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and I'd be pleased to talk more. Well, fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for the insights and getting us thinking in different ways. Get, I like the idea of thinking like a category creator. It feels in, internally empowering and, um, and I can see the rewards coming from it too. So thank you. Oh, my, my pleasure, Steve. I really enjoyed it.